Hello, citizens of Podcastistan. I am Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And surprise, hey. welcome to another Dinner Party Download. <laughs> you might have thought we'd posted our last DPD, but we've decided to toss out a few more, yeah. something we're calling our How to Behave series. Indeed. Each week on the Dinner Party Download, of course, we spoke to the biggest celebrities, turned people on to what's happening in music, movies, and food. We provided terrible jokes. That's right. We did you that quote-unquote service as well. But everyone's favorite part was the etiquette segment, wherein we and a guest would tell our listeners how to behave. And not coincidentally, we decided to write a book that does something similar. It's called Brunch is Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party in Mm. Bookstores Everywhere Now. And it basically lays out minimum standards of behavior we think people should adhere to when they throw or attend a party. Right. So as a companion to the book, we've assembled some excellent all-etiquette episodes for you. Today, the theme is food, and you're going to hear advice from celebrity chef Bobby Flay, the best-selling cookbook author and New York Times contributor Samin Nosrat. But first, to get us started, it is none other than Alton Brown. For over a decade, his Peabody-winning Food Network show Good Eats took us down fascinating work holes in the food universe, weaving in science and history and humor, and saving us from overly precious foodieism. Mm. Thank goodness. Yes. He's presided over Kitchen Stadium on Iron Chef America, and he's stormed stages around the country with his culinary variety show, Eat Your Science. Delicious. He was also the toughest judge on Food Network Star, so he clearly has ideas about how things ought to be. We spoke to him about his cookbook, Everyday Cook, and then we asked if he was ready for listener questions. Oh, gosh. Yeah, sure. Hit me. All right. This first question comes from Nancy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And Nancy writes, given that Thanksgiving leftovers are the best, should you send your guests home with leftovers and Tupperware or just invite everyone back the next day? Which leads to the next question, should you have everyone intentionally make way too much food? Mm. So Nancy's a leftovers fan. You know, typically there's going to be leftovers no matter what. I don't think you have to ask people to make a huge amount of food. Yeah. Um, because, like, if everybody brings something, and that's the rule, it, it, when I'm cooking, I'm, I'm just like, I'm going to do turkey on one side, and everybody else you know, better bring something else or you don't get any turkey. Um, I am a big <laughs> believer in the reusable, resealable containers, mm. Ziploc bags, whatever. And I send people... Away with food. Because number one, they've already been in the house. I don't want them back tomorrow. And, and getting out <laughs> nice. all those containers and setting them out is, a, is, a, is kind of a symbolic invitation to get out. Uh, I see. Oh, so the the take, take your leftovers and be gone, uh, which I think at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're ready. You're ready for them to just go. But it sounds like maybe Nancy's a little less misanthropic and like maybe wants to have them come back the next day. So, I mean, would you would you actively dissuade her from... Absolutely not going to dissuade her at all. If she wants to be that kind of control freak and word over people <laughs> using the power of leftovers to control them, okay, I'm willing yeah. to let it go. Sure, Nancy, if that makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, if that's what you're all about, Nancy. <laughs> Here is something, and this isn't a, a specifically holiday-themed question, but it does seem like a scenario that could happen in a holiday party situation. It's from Jason in Seattle. And he writes, I was just married. During the reception, I went in for a hug from a close friend who was holding a glass of red wine, and it spilled all over the back of my suit jacket. My friend apologized and took the jacket to the bathroom to clean it up, but it was mostly in vain. The suit went to the dry cleaners, came back unwearable. Problem is, this wasn't going to just be a suit for the wedding, but also for the future. It had been tailored. Should I expect my friend to help cover some of the dry cleaning or to pitch in to help replace the jacket? 
Wow. The answer is is clear and abundant. Um, absolutely not. You're responsible for the clothing you wear in any situation where people are going to be hugging while holding glasses of, <laughs> sure. of, of liquids. Yeah. Um, you know, and what kind of what kind of suit? I mean, look, I don't go into any public environment unless I'm wearing a dark suit. In which case, the wine doesn't matter. What was he was he wearing? White velvet? <laughs> well, it was I mean, his wedding. Maybe. Who's it? Liberace? Was it sequin? <laughs> I don't know. But whatever decision he made, he should have known the risks before he went yeah. in. And yeah. and so no. Absolutely, he should uh, he should have to uh, bear uh, the cost of that um, completely. I mean, the fact that he even even think of of kind of shilling that off onto uh, a yeah. friend makes me question yet more of his choices. <laughs> Jason's from Seattle. It might have been a flannel jacket. Yeah, yeah that's actually. true. It, it could have been. It could have been. But you can get you can get wine out of flannel pretty easily. And if he really really is from Seattle, wouldn't he not care because his back's behind him and he can't see it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's a little love letter to you, Seattle. All right, Jason. No, no, I, I actually I love Seattle, uh, but uh, no, you go into any environment like that, and and, and etiquette would would definitely um, suggest rules would, of engagement yeah. would say you're responsible when you go into a situation like that. All right, there's your answer, Jason. This next question comes from Joan, and Joan asks, "How do you get super helpful holiday party guests to stop being so super helpful in the kitchen?" By giving them something else to do, that 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 is a classic problem. And and so what what I what I do uh, when because I I have members of well let's just say this happens to me. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I make sure that I have certain jobs that are set up just for them. Oh, nice. It's almost like a PlayStation. Look, you <laughs> peel the potatoes. Like you want to help. Peel the potato. First off, nobody wants to peel potatoes. Yeah, but out. I just make sure that there are a few things that could be helped with that mm-hmm. that I can assign. The quality of the work is not critical. Okay. That's the only way to do it. Because you don't want to shun people. You don't want to say, no, I've got it. Why don't you go watch TV? Because what that says is I don't appreciate you. Yeah. And that, that's not hospitality. That's that's not hospitable. So have have some jobs laying around that you just you don't care that much about. Yeah. Sure. And then they're like, well, what are we, what are we going to do with these peanuts I just shelled? And you're like, oh, nothing. Thank you. <laughs> those, those are for later. Yes. Well, I'm gonna, we're going to make those into peanut butter later. That's right. Yeah. Later. Thanks for your help. Uh, here is something from Jose via Facebook. And he says, do you make a special non-alcoholic punch slash eggnog slash holiday drink for the loved one in recovery? I, um, whenever I entertain during the holidays, I make sure that there is a, um, a, a high quality non-alcohol beverage. Mm. Because look, a lot of people um, are going to be designated drivers during the holiday. A lot of people want to have maybe one drink and then lay off and, and have something else. So I think it's my responsibility as a host to always have and I'm not just talking about like pouring ginger ale in a cup and saying, there, you loser. I mean, a, a, yeah. I put real I put real effort into making usually a tea-based punch, um, which is, is something that I like what? a lot with some real complex flavors and some bitters and maybe some tonic water so that it's it's something that you taste and you're like, wow, that's really, you know, somebody really put some work into that. So I always make sure that I, that I have a non-alcoholic beverage around. We have one last question, and this comes from a guy named Dana in Costa Mesa, California. And Dana writes... How do you deal with the fact that people always ask you food questions? How would you recommend someone at a holiday dinner avoid that type of question that they've just grown tired of? So I think he's asking that for you specifically. How do you deal with people probably must constantly ask you food questions? I answer them. (laughs) <laughs> or if I don't know the answer, I make one up because I don't want to disappoint them. But do you not get tired after a while? It's just like, oh, no. man, like everywhere. Again. No. I mean, w- if I get tired of anything, it's the assumption that I know of nothing else of, of the world or human mm. experience mm. other uh. than cooking. 
you know. But I mean, if, if you specialize in something, you have to accept the fact that people, if they value you, are going to ask questions for that. So if people stop asking me those, I'm going to have to start worrying. <laughs> oh, no, you'll be out of a job. But what should we ask you about, though, uh, other than food? What's a, what's a specialty you're not often asked about? All right. So there's nothing else that I actually know about. But hey, that doesn't matter. <laughs> There you go, Alton Brown, and we're in the midst of our all-food installment of our special How to Behave series. Think of this as a little audio companion to our new book, which is called Brunch is Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party. That's right. It's like the books Wingman, mm. Bodyguard, and Consigliere, wow. all rolled in one. It's powerful. Uh, next up, yeah, this is a powerful show. And next up is one of our most powerful favorite guests of the last year, oh, yes. chef and cooking teacher Samin Nosrat. Samin's first ever fine dining meal was at the famed restaurant Chez Panisse. She immediately dropped everything to work there and then spent a decade absorbing whatever she could at Panisse and other eateries. And that led her to a whole new way of thinking about cooking and teaching it to others. She calls the method salt, fat, acid, heat. That's also the name of her quasi-cookbook. When we welcomed Samin to the show, she responded like this. Oh, thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you for joining us. Let's talk about this manual. It's normally a cooking manual is built around recipes, but recipes are kind of secondary here. Well, it's sort of the manifesto of my cooking philosophy, which I came to after working at Chez Panisse for a few years and trying to make sense of what we were doing because the menu there changes every day. Mm. They never referred to cookbooks or um, recipes or anything. And I came there knowing nothing. And eventually... I saw this pattern and I realized, oh, wow, no matter what food we're making, there's sort of these four elements that are always at the foundation of whatever we make. It's about knowing how to use salt and fat and acid and heat and control these four things. And I turned it into a book. If you had to write an abridged version of this book that contained only one of the four elements, Uh uh, what is your favorite element at the moment and why? Oh, for sure right now my favorite is acid. Mm, Okay. And I think it's because, well, my family's from Iran, and so our palates skew toward the acidic really intensely. Things like vinegar, wine. Yeah, fermented things, a lot of yogurt and cheese and pickles. And, like, we have um, fruit leathers, but all of our fruit leathers are extraordinarily sour. (laughs) To me, Mm. food is really not complete until it makes you have, like, a little tang experience. So we're going to get to our listeners' etiquette questions in a second. But before we start, I wanted to ask you a question because before we were taping, you mentioned this Persian etiquette concept called, and I may be mispronouncing it, ta'arof. Taruf. 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 I'm so glad you brought it up because I was going to bring it up. Good. <laughs> can, yeah. Can you explain the basics of it? And <laughs> Yeah. So it's um, it's at the base of all Iranian interaction, essentially, is taruf, which is so messed up, you guys. Like, it's I'm in deep, <laughs> deep, like, amounts of therapy because of taruf. Oh. <laughs> but so the concept is basically always offering anything to your guests. If anybody shows up, the rule is you must be completely generous and open and share everything that you have with them. Um, Mm -hmm. If someone comes to your house, you invite them in, even if, like, you don't have anything ready and you'll make many dishes and share it with them. You know, the first time I went to Iran, I was 14 years old. And I I had grown up pretty, like, pretty well trained in it, but maybe not with all of the nuance. And we went, like, deep into the mountains and met some very extended family 
And I had this cousin who was wearing, like a, you know, distant cousin who was wearing a really beautiful bracelet. And I said, wow, your bracelet is so beautiful. And she took it off and had to give it to me. Oh like that was God. the rule di- dictated. Wow, and I had no goodness. idea. I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, these were like really poor people. So I was wow. like, what do I do? It was very like traumatic. But yeah, um, too bad she didn't like anything you were wearing. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> and I'll take your wedding ring. Like, it's a deal. Um, well, let's see. Maybe you can apply some of those tenants to these questions or maybe. Or maybe can just... this can be an extension of your therapy and you can throw those aside yeah. and yes. just tell us tell us how you feel, you really feel. off the cuff. We'll see. <laughs> Let's try it. Here's something from Kay in Brooklyn. I love this question. Kay writes, what do you do when you're cooking with a friend, a family member, or a significant other, but they're doing it all wrong? Oh, my God, Kay. <laughs> yeah, like not letting baking ingredients come to room temperature or allowing enough time for salting the meat. How do you make sure your meal is still delicious without damaging the relationship? Oh, this is intense. And it can happen. That can happen. Oh, I've been that being, I went through a whole phase where I was like the kitchen terrorist and no one would come <laughs> cook with me. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> it was pretty intense. And then I went through a whole second phase. This might be the best answer for you, Kay, is um, do things behind their back. Oh. I did a lot of salting, oh. adding salt to the pasta water when no one was looking, you know, and then people would sit down to this delicious meal and they'd be like, why is this so good? I was, I, I don't know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but you can't unsalt something. You can only add salt. What if someone's doing something mm. that is, you know, irreversible? I don't think I, well, that, I think there is a point at which the like, um, everyone's experience of the meal has to come first. I would say there is a point at which when someone's doing something really wrong or frankly dangerous, those are times when I'll say, hey, hey, you know, let me just show you. But it is a really tricky thing. Like I had, I was dating a guy once who really didn't want me to mm-hmm. um, be the person who knew more in the kitchen, which was hard because I was the person who knew more <laughs> yeah. in the kitchen. <laughs> like, then why are you dating a chef? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But what? Wow. how do you negotiate that when they're like, no, you're actually, this does require four pounds of salt. Sorry. Um. Well, you know, I think one great way, if people are really being very difficult, I'll often say, hey, let's do a little bit of it both ways so we can see which one we like better. I'm really a fan of the side-by-side mm-hmm. tasting because also everyone's palate isn't the same. So that isn't always an option. Option, you know, if they want to put cold butter in a cake or something. But um, I often will try and offer a compromise where we can have a little bit of things both ways. And then, you know, this is I'm really I don't know why you brought me in as the etiquette expert because I have a horrible temper. Like, I <laughs> really, I, yeah. I think sometimes that's yeah. what it requires. Don't you think it's a little bit your ego gets entwined? Totally. It... And the other thing I'll say is I over the years have really, uh, you know, I'm exaggerating. I'm not going to stab anyone when they come <laughs> to my house, I promise. But um, when I do, <laughs> I do definitely have I have reached a point where for me cooking and together and eating together is about so much more than how the food tastes. It's about the experience experience of coming together around the table. If things aren't perfect, it's fine. It's okay. Okay. I think you have a series of answers there. Ultimate one being do not stab anyone. (laughs) Sure. Oh, and also don't date jerks who think they know more than you. There you go. Okay. Our next question comes from Aaron in Houston, Texas. (laughs) And Aaron writes, is it acceptable yet to directly mock people at restaurants who get carried away with taking pictures of their food instead of, you know, eating it? Uh parentheses, please say yes. This has gotten way out of hand. Uh, it's so epic, man, you guys. Because um, that's me. I'm internally mocking all of those people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I also feel like I don't think it's acceptable. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I think you want to treat people like, yeah, I don't think it's acceptable to mock. But as a chef, are you proud when people take pictures of your yeah. food? 
Or are you just like, hey, that's no, not the point of the food? No, I want them to eat the food. Because also yeah. as a cook, like I rarely take pictures of things in restaurants because, you know what? Most restaurants have real bad lighting. Real <laughs> That's bad. That's true. And so your Instagram's just not going to turn out that good. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. I was I was trying to help you out, but it sounds like no mocking. But Sorry, Aaron. But secretly you're right. <laughs> save it for therapy. <laughs> That's the secret of being an adult right there. You're right. Just don't say anything. Yep. Okay. And save it for therapy. <laughs> Here is something from Mac. He wrote in via our website. This isn't exactly an etiquette question, but it is germane to the conversation. He writes, so I have found I like the taste of raw beef. Is there a safe way to eat this? I have a trusted meat guy, but I still feel like this is not a good idea. Thanks. Oh, am I going to get sued, you guys? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> this is Samin Nosrat answering the question. Yeah. Samin's opinions are wholly her own and not Sorry. those of American public media. <laughs> I definitely think that you can eat your meat raw if you know where it comes from, if you take care of it, if you serve it chilled, if you keep it cold, and maybe if you feed it to some other people first and notice that they don't die. <laughs> that's a good, always a good experiment. That's, that's yeah. important to conduct. Yeah. You know, but here's, I love this, the subtext of this Matt question is he found that he likes to taste the raw beef before having any of these questions answered. Right? <laughs> yeah. He started eating it on his own and then he still feels like it's not a good idea. <laughs> Therapy is a theme to this conversation, but it sounds like he has a low level death wish. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mac, you have a variety of answers and non answers in there. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean, Thank you so much for telling our audience how to behave. I really hope they don't listen to me. <laughs> Thanks for having me, you guys. We thank you and your therapist. <laughs> Samin Nosrat, her best-selling book about cooking is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. She's also a food columnist for the New York Times Magazine. And we actually wrote a companion piece for one of her recent articles in the Times. That's right. It was about, wait for it, dinner parties. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. We provided a bunch of guidelines for great party conversation, including how to talk politics without getting into a fist fight. That is Important. also yes, that is also a topic we cover in great detail in our book Brunch is Hell, which we suggest you buy. And you can trust us because we are impartial journalists everyone. That's right. We're public radio professionals. But right now, it is time for more guidance on how to behave from celebrity chef Bobby Flay. He's the owner and executive chef of immensely popular restaurants and he's been the host of several TV shows including the Emmy-winning Bobby Flay's Barbecue Addiction. Mm. He's got a barbecue guide and cookbook of the same name. And Bobby, welcome. This will definitely be the first time that anybody asks me how to behave. <laughs> I'm just going to say that straight out. That's never happened in my life. You're really? a bad boy, are you? Don't you have to keep order in the kitchen? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah I guess that's true. You've got to browbeat people. You know, I think you will be able to give guidance to people, even looking over this book. Sure. At one point, you declare, if you use lighter fluid, you're fired from the grill. Totally. So let's start there. For the yeah. millions who still use lighter fluid, what's wrong with lighter fluid? Because it has an awful taste. We all grew up as kids eating hamburgers that tasted like lighter fluid. Yeah. We actually thought that that's what they tasted I know, like. I, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I used to mm. think spinach was just frozen wet paper towel right, texture exactly. from my mother. It's comforting. But then I learned that it actually can taste good. Um, I have a personal question, by the way. I, have, I feel like I'm not kind of enough of a, a guy because I don't grill. It's probably true. But <laughs> thanks, Brennan. But like, I don't have two things, which is space and time. 
I'm just sort of dissuaded from getting well, into this. I'm going to have to cut you down on both of those excuses. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> because I feel like if I have the time, you're probably going to have the time. And it doesn't take a lot of space to grill. I mean, how much space do you need? Do you have any outdoors? You live in L.A. I know, well, it's true, but I live in an apartment, you know? Okay. Not a ton of space. But you could set up like a little Weber on your driveway, right? Yeah, totally. Right? Absolutely. But I mean... What? But is that, <laughs> that going to be any good? I mean, it's a tiny little doohickey. L- l- let me just say this to you. Grilling is common sense cooking. It's flame with some grates over it. I mean, sure. it doesn't matter what the outside of it looks like. I mean, yeah. some of them are, you know, $5,000 and looks like you can drive them down the block. <laughs> and then, you know, there's like the classic Weber and they basically get the same results. It's They're not cooking it. You are. And that's what people kind of, I think, get intimidated by. Right. I think Rico, when he was complaining about time, was trying to make a case for lighter fluid, which we're just not going to have it. That's not happening because <laughs> in 15 minutes, if you have a chimney starter, which costs like $12 in the store, you can have perfect coals lit. Yeah. Perfect. No excuses. Zero. All right. Well, you've, we've told Rico how to behave. Let's answer some of our <laughs> okay. uh, listeners' questions. The first one comes from someone calling themselves Tongue Fried in Southern California. Nice. Tongue Fried writes, I'm a spice wimp. Example, when this local Mongolian barbecue place asked me to specify spice preference from 1 to 10, I asked for a zero. No joke. <laughs> oh, man. This is a source of great shame. What should I do when I literally can't stomach food I'm offered? Related, any secrets for building tolerance to that kick? Mm. Well, there's no substitute for experience in anything, and that includes eating spicier foods. There actually is a point where something might be too spicy for anyone, including myself, and I eat a lot of chili peppers and, yeah. and whatnot. So You're known for it. But every once in a while, like I'll go to some authentic Thai restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's actually an authentic Thai restaurant where all the clubs are there, right on Sunset Boulevard in yeah, West, yeah. West Hollywood. It's called Night Plus Market. It serves Thai market food. It is insanely hot, <laughs> okay? So you eat it, you're like, oh my goodness, this is so hot. And then you wait for like 30 seconds, and what do you do? put the fork back into the food and you start eating it. (laughs) And it just, that's what happens is you sort of almost kind of need it. Yeah. It's almost like this good drug, something that you actually start wanting, even though it's kind of hurting you a little bit. Well, what's interesting is, uh, you know, you're famous for bringing spices into food. But you, like me, I, I have an Irish yeah. background. I always joke that I have a Mediterranean taste but an Irish stomach and I get killed. The aftermath. But I guess what, what Tongue Fried is also asking, if you encounter something you just simply can't handle, what's a polite way to pass on it? You just don't eat it. <laughs> I mean, there, there's always that. And then, and then what happens is people, when they eat something that's too hot, what do they do? They drink a lot of water or beer. Wrong. Yes. You need dairy, yogurt, or some milk. That's what works. So if you're going to a Thai place, pack a milkshake. 100%. All right. All right. There you go, tongue fried. Here is Damon via Facebook. We don't know where Damon's from. Damon writes, our office frequently takes part in potlucks. Lately, I've gotten a lot of pushback through the grapevine, of course, that my dishes have meat, gluten, cheese, etc., Am I on the hook for creating dishes that meet everybody's potluck preferences? No. Right. Make what you want to make, especially if it's a potluck. So if it's a potluck, there's going to be tons of dishes, right? Yeah. Uh, one would think. By definition. So I, first of all, gluten-free, obviously, it's a very serious issue. People have you know, celiac disease. disease, and they have to be careful, obviously. I was watching the Today Show this morning, and now there's the South Beach gluten-free cookbook. <laughs> and so now it's become a trendy thing yeah. to do. Which yeah. I have to say, I mean, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian by trade. I don't like the idea because you're not going to be getting the nutrients that you need. For people that are just deciding to do it because they think it's the trendy thing of the moment, it drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah of course. They think they're going to lose weight. But I also have to say that like, I feel like chefs, of course, this is their art. You know, They want to have as wide a palate to work with as possible. Does that, right. But does that trump politeness, I guess, is the I question. I mean, you know, listen, as a chef, we're also, I mean, we're cooks, we're servants. We're making food that people are paying to eat. So, you know, the customer is obviously very important. And I think if somebody wants something that's gluten-free, 
free. I'm not going to question why it is. It's not my place. I'm not yeah. going to say, well, I'll make it only <laughs> if you really can't eat it. You bring, know? Yeah, bring your doctors. You know, <laughs> listen, I cook with a lot of cilantro, and people have an aversion to yeah. cilantro, a lot less than they used to. But when I opened yeah. Mesa Grill 22 years ago, I had the most people with cilantro um, allergies in the history of the world in my restaurant. <laughs> I was like, just tell me you don't want it, I'll, and I'll cook without it. It's yeah. totally fine. And so I think you have to find the balance. Yeah. Right. So And also, I think this is a pot luck. Yeah, right? exactly. Everyone brings in a pot. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat that luck one. luck of the draw. Yeah, just eat something else. Yeah. Exactly. Stick with the pirate booty. Or I'm going to eat the one that that guy brought. I can tell you right now. <laughs> All right, Damon, Here's... you have a fan if Bobby's invited. There you go. All right, we have another question. This one comes from Ali in Minneapolis. Ali asks... What do you do when you're a guest at someone's dinner party and the food is terrible and they ask what you think because, you know, you're Bobby Flay and they want to hear compliments? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you never look fat in that dress. Yeah. One thing I can tell you right now, whether it's a chef, somebody cooking at home, no one wants to hear the real story. Yeah. <laughs> tell me really. It's great. That's what I think. All right. Here's Jeff via Facebook. Jeff writes, how do you get people to leave at the end of the party? Please help. They are still here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming, everybody. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, here's the, here's the, that's a great question, actually. Yeah. Because we've all been there. But there is a point where your guests are not being polite. Mm. Mm. I just start washing dishes. Yes. Right. That's, that always, is... that's always a good sign. And I'm like, does anybody want to help? Then I'm like, everybody's like, where's my coat? <laughs> yeah, where are my nope. keys? I exactly. got to get out of here. I do not. When I worked at a cafe years ago, I had a special uh, mix I called my go-home music. <laughs> and that, that's basically when the metal would come on. Sad. Exactly. That's, that's when the Ozzy Osbourne oh, would be turned okay. up. <laughs> you can always play uh, Last Dance. That's right. Really, really loud. I want you guys to listen to the vocals of this. Sure. <laughs> Check the lyrics, people. Well, Bobby Flay, thanks for coming by sure. and telling our audience how to behave. Thanks for having me. Bobby Flay, and by the way, don't tell him, but in our new book, we discuss barbecues, and unfortunately, they do not qualify as dinner parties. Correct. They violate most of the rules of what constitutes a dinner party, as laid out by the UN Regulatory Subcommittee on Social Excellence. A.K.A. us at our watering hole on Fridays. That's right. That's <laughs> We set the rules. We do allow that a barbecue is a great place to recover from dinner parties, though. And people, you can learn our reasoning about that, which is very tortured, by reading our book, Brunch is Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party, available now wherever books are sold. Please go get it. Next week, more lessons about how to behave from comedians uh, like yes. Maria Bamford, Fred Armisen, Carrie Brownstein, and Billy Eichner. It's going to be a great one. Thanks for listening, and bon appétit. <laughs> 